Now entering the Bitcoin Podcast Network. Hey, how goes it? Thanks for joining me for not another Bitcoin podcast. And might I add, thank you. I am at over 3,000 downloads a a week per episode. I believe that's what D said. Dimitric, host number dose, the host with the most from the Bitcoin podcast, host the ship, the mothership, the mother show, the bitcoinpodcast.com, yo. But yeah, D told me I got about 3,000 downloads per episode a week. That's pretty gangster. And uh, I owe it all to you, uh, the audience, the listeners, the viewers, the tuner-inners, the people who are sharing, commenting. Um, so the BitcoinPodcast.com, where the website is hosted, I do have my own podcast. You can go in there and leave comments about this podcast episode you can comment and i can reply and we can talk about the episode together we can get interactive as it were so if you'd like to head on over to the bitcoinpodcast.com click on the podcast tab down there at the bottom you'll see not another bitcoin podcast with ken bozak that's me if you didn't know so you can leave a comment on each of the episodes you can chime in you can give me some feedback Or just let me know how I did or anything. Just chime in. So please head on over to the website and uh, let me know how how I did on this interview, how you enjoyed it, or just chime in, say hello. All right, so I'm going to be speaking with Ben from the BTC Sessions in this episode. We are going to be getting pretty technically-ish. Ben is, uh, by day, a breakdance instructor. Um, yeah, so he's spinning on his head on cardboard all day for, for a living on the day side. Uh, for the side hustle, he, he works for a, uh, Bitcoin company. Um, and, uh, yeah, so he also has his YouTube channel, BTC Sessions. Uh, if this is your first time hearing about Ben and Ben from the BTC Sessions, highly recommend that you go over to his YouTube channel and subscribe he has some of the best in-depth bar setting crypto tutorials i mean i like to make youtube videos this guy makes the bar pretty darn high i really like the content and his um his style his style is very nice he has really great video editing and yeah it's very informative um he's been doing interviews lately uh but again his tutorials are off the hook in this interview where I speak with Ben, I get to know who Ben is behind the BTC sessions, and then we start to dig into how we view cryptocurrencies, um, you know, how he views segregated uh, witness, uh, Segwit2x, user activated soft fork, uh, BIP148. We cover a couple, um, you know, the drum of the drama. We cover a little bit of that. We cover a couple of the other topics as well. This is an all-around pretty decent interview. I mean, if 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 I wasn't in it and I wasn't going to have to sound biased, I'd say this was a good episode. Um, you know, I I was proud of this one. So I hope you, the audience, enjoy it. Uh, again, I'm looking for feedback. I know D told me I'm at three thousand hits per episode a week or something to that effect uh beyond excited uh and i promise to be putting more and more and more effort into each and every episode to provide more and more better quality content 
So keep sticking around. You won't be disappointed. If you like it so far, it's only going to get better. Um, without any more delay, let's start the, the show of the day. The reason you're all here. Drum roll, please, and cue the intro music. When in early 2011, it piqued my interest. Well, my name is Craig Grimes, and I first encountered Bitcoin when it was $3. My name is Cody Spearing. Um, I'm currently involved in Ethereum mining. What's up, though, man? What's up? How goes it, Kim <laughs> How goes it, Trevon James? When I first saw your video, I felt so like, damn, my shit looks terrible. Like, yo, <laughs> yo this guy, this guy's great. He's going places. My name is Ryan Strauss. I'm a Bitcoin evangelist. I first like found out about Bitcoin in 2012 and pretty much becomes your entire life once you really uh, get into it there. Hello, everyone. I'm uh, Brandon Rosano. I... Uh, and new to Philadelphia and this East Coast side of things. I'm Luciano. Luciano Valdez. Well, funny story about that is, uh, I think it was host number two, Demetrius, that reached out to you initially, and then he was telling me about Silly Stoner Ken and how he's like passionate about Bitcoin. And I was like, man, this dude, I don't know about this guy. <laughs> Hey, how goes it? Ken Bozak from thebitcoinpodcast.com here to talk about Bitcoin and Bitcoin accessories. Thank you for joining me for Not Another Bitcoin interview on Not Another Bitcoin podcast. Today, I'll be joined by Ben from the BTC Sessions. Ben, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself, let everybody know how you got into crypto, your origin story, as it were, and what you do now in the industry. Awesome, Ken. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really happy to be here. Um, yeah, my name is Ben. Uh, I run a YouTube channel called the BTC Sessions. Um, I guess I'll, I'll get into where I started first, and then I'll, I'll segue into what the channel is and, and all that good stuff. Um, I got interested in Bitcoin in well, I started hearing about it in 2013 a little bit, um, and. I didn't really pay too much attention to it until late 2013 when it had that big pop and hit, you know, $1,100, $1,200. And at that point, I figured it was time to start doing some reading and some researching. Um, I found uh, on on Udemy.com, or I'm not sure how to say it, but U-D-E-M-Y, uh, Udemy.com, I found a, a course called How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love Crypto. And I went through all of that material. There's a whole bunch of videos, 30 to 45-minute videos, explaining how Bitcoin works and all the technology behind it. Um, so I spent hours and hours um, eating up all that content. And then I got into Andreas videos and stuff from there and, and did as much reading as I possibly could. Uh, and at that point, I kind of started to dabble and actually buy a little bit. Um, and it's been a whirlwind since then. I just kind of fell down the rabbit hole. Uh, I... I started um, at first just buying a little bit, but as I got more into it, I wanted to try experimenting with with apps and technologies and stuff being built around Bitcoin. Um, and so at one point, there was a company that they're not around anymore, but they were called Broker.com. Uh, and they actually paid me to try and live on Bitcoin for a month using their service. So I did that in, in 20. 20, late 2014, which was awesome. Uh, they, so they basically paid my bills for a month, which I mean, that, that's incredible. Um, so I did that. And then, and then I just, I got so enthralled with everything happening in the Bitcoin community that uh, in 
early to, uh, what was it? I guess mid 2016, I just decided what the hell I'm going to make a channel. Um, because I, I thought that there was a bit of a need for some fun, easy to consume content. Um, just teaching people the basics of how things work. How, how do I get a wallet? How do I, um, buy Bitcoin? How do I spend it? How do I secure it? Um, but I wanted it to be, uh, accessible. I didn't want it to be really, really dry. Um, I wanted people to look and actually have a fun time watching the video while also learning how to use this stuff. So I started that just over a year ago now. Um, and, and I'm loving it. I make a one video every week and I've, I've met incredible people. Um, I've got amazing people following along and asking questions and, and partaking in everything that I do. And, and I, I feel really lucky to have, uh, this much support. So, um, people like you having me on is always a blast. I love talking to you. I, I, that's what I enjoy the most is talking to my crypto friends, you know, um, I'll touch on some of that, what you said about your channel and the quality of the content. You did nail it. Your, your content is very, uh, entertaining and very informative. Uh, do you have any background in like, you know, production or video editing? Like how did you get your videos to be such high quality? What's the process for you? Um, it's, it's funny that you say that. Cause like when I look at my own videos, I'm always, I'm critiquing, I guess everybody's their own worst critic, but I'm always looking at them going, oh, I did that and the sound's off and uh, like, you know, but um, I guess most of it was just uh, trial and error, really. Like I, I kind of started practicing when um, early on when I was traveling, like with my uh, girlfriend turned fiance turned wife. Um, but I, we would travel together and I, it started with just GoPro videos and I wanted to have more than just stock footage of, of us traveling. So I started splicing them with music and everything. And I got my start doing that. Um, and then once I started this channel, I, I don't know, like I, I just kind of thought that it might be interesting to have that that location based feel like um i remember watching it was weird so <laughs> i watched uh there's a guy named david seaman and uh he does some he does some videos and i remember watching some of his stuff because i sometimes i'd find some of the stuff he'd say interesting but i was always i'd get a little bored because it was like him a lot of the time on his couch just talking. Um, but then, and then he did a video where he was walking and he was go, he was actively walking somewhere. And I was like, why, why is this one so much more interesting? And I figured it out. It's because, because he was somewhere else. And even just the change in background made me want to watch the whole thing. Um, but as far as that goes, uh, any other background that helped me with the videos, um, I do not have a tech background. Uh, I actually, um, up until, uh, well, even this year, my main job is I teach little kids how to break dance and pop and lock and all that stuff. Um, so I go to schools and I do in-school residencies. Basically, instead of the gym teacher doing like square dancing, I'll come in and I'll do a week of hip hop with the kids. And and uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm kind of managing uh, in that company now and hiring new instructors. But that's what I've been doing for for 10 years now. 
and Ten uh, years of breakdance instructing. <laughs> yeah, I need yeah. your help because I can't dance for the life of me. I look exactly how I would dance. It's not. <laughs> like, I, I don't look like I do well. Or I would not, and I do not. So I I should definitely get some uh, tips on that as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's. Well, I was pretty awful when I started too. Again, it was all trial and error, and I did have some good teachers, so I was lucky with that. But um, yeah, I don't know. I I. I, I because I grew up in that performance background, um, I think that's where uh, a lot of the influence for making videos entertaining came from. Um, and then I also watch other YouTubers like Casey Neistat. I love that guy and I think he's incredible. And at the same time, I watch a lot of Andrea's videos and the way that he can break things down is pretty incredible. So I kind of wanted to make, you know, the best of both worlds and, and try and slap them together. So that's that's where I ended up and that's where I am right now. You're about to break uh, 10,000 subscribers, I believe, right? Yeah, man. It's Congratulations. <laughs> Thanks. It's great. I never thought. Like, I broke 1,000 on New Year's Day, and I was like, oh, cool. Maybe I'll get to, like, five this year. <laughs> and uh, and and all of a sudden, it's we're looking at 10 here and, like, half a million views. It's blowing my mind. I, I didn't expect it, but I'm super thankful. And I, I even if I didn't get any any more subscribers from here, I'd still be happy. Yeah, I'm pretty thankful uh, for the ones I got. I don't know what keeps them coming back, but thank you. <laughs> I, I think you've got a, a solid, uh, like, on-air personality. Uh, I, that's why when I met you on uh, 21 Million, uh, that interview, when we got chatting, I was like, ah, oh, I, like, I like the way this guy just kind of chats, and he's just right off the cuff. I love it. Thanks, man. Yeah, I got a lot of incentive and a lot of background motivation from people telling me I should do more live. So I actually started doing, I'm going to start, I did one today. I'm going to start doing daily live uh, live streams in the morning where I just like read an article and talk with the audience in the chat box. That's awesome. Love it. Uh, so I want to take advantage of having Ben on my show. Uh, you're a pretty knowledgeable guy. Uh, I consider myself an enthusiast to you, the expert. You know, I've only been in this space a very small amount of time compared to somebody like you. So I would like you to help me explain to my audience or basically explain to them for me uh, what the difference is between an altcoin, like a cryptocurrency, like, um, you know, Litecoin or Ethereum, like an altcoin as opposed to a token, like a uh, SWAT or a uh, suite or Golem or something like that. Um. Part of it is in the way that they launch. It's, I don't know, the lines are kind of getting blurred. It's tougher to tell the difference between um, certain things right now. One main thing is is most, if not all, of the ICOs are being built atop of, um, Ethereum. Um, but that being said, as far as, as what their function is, um, that can, that can vary, but those lines get blurred. So, I mean, an altcoin, the term altcoin came up after Bitcoin had been the only cryptocurrency for X number of years. And then Litecoin came along and you started to get all these other cryptocurrencies. Um, they were called altcoins because it was an alternative to Bitcoin. Um, and that name kind of stuck, but now it's just kind of, you know, you could just refer to them all as cryptocurrencies. Um, so, you know, most cryptocurrencies um, take what Bitcoin did and and make tweaks or changes to the underlying rules that govern them. So Litecoin is the most similar to Bitcoin in that it's almost exactly the same, except for uh, instead of having a hard cap of 21 million coins, you've got 84 million. And instead of uh, 
transactions being added to the blockchain every 10 minutes is every two and a half minutes. Um, so there's some basic changes uh, to Litecoin, um, but it's basically Bitcoin. Um, whereas you get into stuff like Ethereum, and Ethereum is a totally different coding language. It's it's built for a different purpose. It's built for smart contracts. Um, so there's a lot of variation in in these different projects. Um, but when you get into ICOs, um, ICOs are interesting. So an ICO is is a way for a company or a project to crowdfund um, in a decentralized fashion for their project. Now, um, there is some confusion about what you're buying when you buy into an ICO. Um, so when you buy into an ICO, you are buying a token that may or may not be used in the project that is launching it. So um, I'm going to, I've talked with you about this before, uh, like when I've, you've been on my show, but I'll just kind of reiterate a couple examples. So let's say something like there's a, a project called Game Credits. And the idea is that they want to monetize in-game assets. So let's play, you, you say you love playing World of Warcraft and uh, you, you work for hours and hours and hours and hours and you obtain some special item in the game and uh, you realize that that has monetary value to somebody and you want to be able to trade it and, and, and sell it on an open market. Um, so you can use these game credits or these tokens to monetize that and freely trade your in-game assets. Um, so that's an example of an ICO where if you buy into it, then potentially that token that you're buying into there's going to be demand for it because it needs to be used to exchange these assets in the game. Whereas you could look at something like uh, you could look at something like kick kick messenger is, is launching an ICO or I don't know. I don't think they have yet, but anyway, so they're launching an ICO kick messenger is just a free messenger person to person. It's been free. Lots of people use it. Great. They're launching an ICO. So if you buy that token, you have to ask yourself, okay, well, why why is the token there what's it for is there demand for it like if if the value of kick messenger the company goes up tenfold that doesn't mean that their token is going to go up tenfold it depends how many people want to use it and how scarce it is so um it's not correlated with the value of the company and that i think some people can get confused about that um and and don't get me wrong i'm not shitting on icos uh but people should be aware that something like 97, 98% of businesses fail. Um, and those are businesses that usually have a pretty solid business plan and, and like capital. And um, whereas ICOs, a lot of these are, are white papers with talking points that have no product or anything behind them yet. Uh, so it's not to say that some of them can't succeed, but odds are they're going to have a lower success rate than most new businesses. So you've, got to take that into consideration when buying into them and if you're buying into an ico you're either trying to flip it quick or uh or you really really believe in that project yeah that's actually what i did i believed in that project you were just giving an example with uh, the game credits and mobile go tokens i think that's an interesting token i think that they're roadmap for the token on their cryptocurrencies platform and how that merges is really interesting. So uh, I'm excited to see how that works. Um, so with ICOs, did you see that Mark Cuban has uh, just said he's interested in an ICO called Unicorn? I'm not exactly sure what Unicorn does. I'm, I'm pretty sure that they are an online 
sports gambling token? <laughs> I, I, the extent to which I heard about this was um, Cubans saying that Bitcoin was in a bubble. And then I think that at least briefly affected the price. Um, but then immediately, like, it was something like a week or two weeks after him talking about getting into ICOs, which if, I mean, again, I'm not shitting on ICOs here, but if anything's a bubble, it is the ICOs right now. Um, like, you, <laughs> it's, I mean, you can't say Bitcoin is a bubble and then look at ICOs and go, oh, no, that's fine. <laughs> yeah i feel like that's exactly what he did too or maybe he's smart and he's like you know what if, if uh, i'm gonna gamble i'm gonna gamble on these bubbles over here yeah well yeah exactly and i mean it's it's again you get an ico and and right now there's we'll say irrational exuberance around most icos you get mark cuban behind one uh you know that that one's gonna be bought up like crazy so he's anybody buying into it if they flip it quick enough will probably make bank on it but i i you know it doesn't mean that it's actually worth the money it's just i don't know you got to think objectively about it and decide for yourself but i don't think i'd be buying it because i'm not a day trader and i i i prefer to buy things that i think will have value long term yeah exactly um i'm on the opposite end actually i like to gamble a little bit on the uh diversifying my portfolio now it's not like whatever i mean i like to look into the projects and make sure like uh, i really like golem so i hold a lot of uh, gnt i've i've had it since it was like a nickel like i i just think the project's awesome um auger has rep <coughs> i thought rep was amazing when it first came out i heard about it i was like wait a prediction platform wait people are gambling on the weather get the fuck out of here i want to get one of these so i got some of that and uh, I think I grabbed like basic attention tokens because I've been using Brave's browser for like a year now, solid browser. Um, so I'm hoping they get more attention and, and plugins like Chrome has their plugins. I It would be great if Ledger would build a plugin for Brave browser so I could finally have like a great reason to get Chrome off my computer and use Brave fully. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, I, I, I do a lot of like looking into ICOs and altcoins. And most of the time, in my opinion, the best time to buy into an ICO is like two weeks to a month after it's hit an exchange and it comes crashing down and consolidates somewhere 80% under its release. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's again, for those, for people like you that like the trading, then the volatility is at is a day trader's dream because that's where you can make your money as, as long as you know what you're doing. Um, but for people that are further to my side where they're like, I want to buy something that's going to be around in, in like 10 years. Um, it's scary. So it's, it's just, it just depends on risk tolerance, right? Like if you, if you're, I mean the whole crypto industry, the whole crypto uh, ecosystem is risky. So like, I shouldn't say that I'm risk averse, but I'm risk averse for being in crypto. We'll say. <laughs> I actually got uh, introduced to investing not too long ago. I've never saved a dollar to be honest till probably mm -hmm. a year ago ish. But um, I started using an app called Acorns and I went into the portfolio options because they diversify every dollar into all different kinds of like corporate bonds, uh, state things, I don't know, all kinds of stuff. And they would uh, ask you what kind of risk you wanted to take. It was like extreme risk, uh, moderate, uh, you know, all different kinds of levels of risk. And the higher the risk, the higher the potential reward. 
And I kind of, you know, that was my introduction to like the thoughts in investing and stuff like that. And that's when I look at some altcoins, I kind of look at that like it's super aggressively risky. But if the reward matches even half of the risk, yay. And then you have to make sure you fight greed because if you end up getting what you wanted out of something and it's there at the price you said, hey, I'd sell it at this and you let greed hit and it goes back down, then that's that's on you. And that's most of the time what happens. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. To touch more on ICOs, not to beat a dead horse in, in the conversation, but where do you see regulation coming in, if any? Um, I have my own personal take. I kind of explained that this morning. But uh, where do you see, if any, ICO regulation in crypto? Um, there's no way the SEC is going to leave this alone. Uh, if anybody watching that doesn't know, the Securities and Exchange Commission in the United States, um, they love to regulate shit, and they will. Um, but they're not quick with it. Like they, they take their time, they build cases and then, you know, a a few years after the fact, then all of a sudden subpoena, boom. Um, so that's not to say that, that they'll be able to come after everybody. Like that's that, you know, and, and that's not to say that I approve of that. Like I, I think that, um, realistically people should, uh, do their due diligence and look into what they're investing in. And if you lose your money, um, then that's, you know, that's partially on you. Like, yes, if somebody's running a Ponzi scheme, then, then that's terrible. But also you have to be, um, conscious of where you're putting your money. Um, so, but that being said, the SEC, they're not just going to sit there and essentially let, um, what is, uh, under United States law, uh, illegal securities just be issued um, at will. Um, so I think they're probably already working on it. Um, I imagine that you won't see anything until they've got such a, a an airtight case that they're ready to serve subpoenas. So that could be another like couple of years. It's going to be somewhere between when they're ready to make a case and the statute of limitations, which I don't know what that is for issuing an illegal security. Um, but that being said, um, if if somebody in the U.S. issues an ICO, uh, yeah, they, they've got to be careful. Um, <laughs> I would probably not be doing that in the U.S. Uh, the other thing to worry about is if you're outside of the U.S., and you issue an ICO and the SEC in the future um, considers it to be an illegal security. If you've sold knowingly to U.S. residents, then the SEC will still come after you. So that's another thing. Um, 10X, they recently launched an ICO and they were not allowed. Their lawyers advised them not to sell their ICO to anybody inside the United States. So that's got to tell you something about what could be down the uh, pipeline uh, for ICOs in the U.S. or being sold to people in the U.S. in the future. So something to watch out for. Um, uh, yeah, I think that's there is regulation coming, but um, ICOs will continue to exist. They'll just have to be you know, offered out of other countries. For me, regulation and ICOs seem sort of like putting do not eat labels on rat poison. It's kind of like a waste of space on the package. It's self-explanatory in a sense. Like, 
Um, I feel like we need financial Darwinism in ICOs where all these people with a lot of money and not a lot of brains keep throwing their money into these ICOs. When those people that are pretty damn rich lose enough money, everybody will learn from their mistakes and Darwinism kicks in and people stop eating rat poison out of the bottle and we don't need to put the label on there anymore. So like that, that's how I see regulation. It's going to be maybe self-governed by the extent of a just catastrophic bubble pop. Everybody's going to lose money. Everyone's going to learn from this. And, um, but like you said, it could just, the one day a law could be put in place and who knows how long you have till you fall into that window. And when I first got into Bitcoin, people warned me about buying and holding cryptocurrencies and publicly, you know, saying, Hey, I bought Bitcoin and using places like Coinbase because they track it. Like, well, what if the government makes Bitcoin illegal one day? And that is a weird concern I have, especially with the ICOs. And like, I've bought a couple ICOs and are invested in them. I have the tokens. It's, it's a really weird thing that like in this first world country to think like my government could just pass a law one day to screw me, but that's possible. Yeah. But I mean, uh, the nice thing is as an investor in one of these, uh, so like if, if you were to put your money in, um, you're not at fault as an investor. It's the promoters of ICOs that, you know, they'd bring the hammer down on. So, um, you know, like it's, it's, people are allowed to talk about them. People are allowed to, are allowed to invest in them. But if, if you're like pumping an ICO and, and you're gaining from it, you know, you're one of the people that launched it or whatever, then, then it could be a legal gray area down the road. So yeah, that's, that's where people are going to have to watch out. But I mean, realistically, if ICOs are illegal all of a sudden, then all of a sudden there's going to be a mass panic and you're right. It's, it's going to be, it's going to be self-governing at some point, whether it's a, a bunch of fraud happens and people lose money that way, or there's regulation and everybody panics. Um, I prefer to see self-regulation because I think people are just so used to having, you know, big brother telling them that they're not allowed to invest in this because it might be shady um, that they've, they've, they don't have that, sense of self-preservation it's like when a parent bubble wraps the house and the kid isn't used to falling and scraping his knee then all of a sudden that kid's an idiot when he goes out into the real world and is that much more likely to get hurt so um, I think it's the same with investing if if you've got somebody constantly telling you what you can and cannot invest in you're not going to learn what's actually good to invest in Exactly. Um, Let's see. I had another topic I wanted to touch on. Uh, The last time we spoke, I was on your show for your weekly uh, ask you about um, Q&As, your weekly Q&A. Segwit 2x versus user activated software 148. Um, So could you do me a favor? Dude, everything happened so fast. Could you please explain Segwit 2x? Because the articles I read the day it was announced that it had favorability across the miners and uh, Bitcoin um, companies like BTCC, uh, there's so many, uh, big big, uh, blockchain, um, purse, uh, dude, I could go on. There was like 10 different companies that are good with uh, Segwit 2x, but then you told me it wasn't as great as the articles I've read made it sound like. So could you please explain to me and my audience what exactly is Segwit 2x as opposed to the user-activated software 148? Okay, so this is going to get kind of thick into the weeds here, um, but I will 
I will explain it to the best of my ability. Um, okay, so most of the contention for the last couple of years has been uh, over how to scale Bitcoin. Um, some people are saying that the best option is to just do a a a change to the core rules that govern uh, Bitcoin and change the capacity of how many transactions can go through every 10 minutes um, by changing what's called the block size. Okay. Um, so that was one of the basic arguments while other people were saying, well, if, if you do that, then it, it leads to bloat in the blockchain. So meaning that um, you're going to have a longer time downloading and, and a harder time storing it, but more so with bandwidth, if you if you open up the size of the block um, too large, then anybody that's living in an area where you don't have as much bandwidth, that means you won't be able to keep up with the transactions and be able to actually verify um, whether or not a transaction is happening because you won't be up to date with the blockchain. And you never will be if you don't have that bandwidth and you can't download and upload transactions fast enough. Um, so that was the argument against raising the block size too much. Uh, and the proposed solution on the other side of the aisle was something called segregated witness, which this was not made uh, to actually increase capacity. It was just a, a, a nice side effect of what it was doing. Um, it was fixing something called transaction malleability. And that just means um, whenever you make a transaction, there's a little identification uh, number on it, and that can be changed after the fact. It doesn't affect how much money you're sending, who you're sending it to. It doesn't cancel the transaction, nothing like that, but you can change the identifier. Um, and with that bug in Bitcoin, it makes it impossible to build secondary layers that can speed up transactions and allow for more transactions. So um, what segregated witness did was, let's say this is the amount of space you have visually represented to fit in all your transactions. OK, so half of this will say is taken up by the actual transactions themselves, how much space they're taking up. The other half is used up for people essentially using their private keys and signing off saying, yes, this is me, I sign this transaction. So a huge chunk of the block of the space you have for transactions is used up by um, signatures. So what happened in Segregated Witness is they took the signatures they put them outside of this space that the blockchain is looking for. They put them outside and still attached it, but then that freed up at least twice the space for more transactions. So you're, you're allowing for around double the transactions and in some case three to four times as many um, just by doing this little trick where you take the signatures that are taking up space, just put them outside and connect them essentially is what it is. Um, so, it was just a kind of a, a fancy engineering trick that allowed for double the transactions or more without actually having to increase that 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 number on on the actual rules. Um, and the reason that this was favorable to some is because it was backwards compatible. You, if you were a miner per se, and everybody upgraded to segregated witness and started doing this you wouldn't necessarily have to accept SegWit blocks. You could still accept people that weren't using segregated witness and just sending regular transactions. You could accept those. That's no big deal. Um, you would just ignore ones that are doing SegWit and, and it would be fine. Um, if you were to change the block size though, then essentially everybody has to upgrade all at once. 
And if that happens and some people are left behind or some people disagree, then you get a split and there becomes two different Bitcoins with two different sets of rules. So that was the worry there. So fast forward now, um, SegWit has been ready and and had mass support as it was announced. Um, but then as soon as it was launched and ready to go, all of a sudden there that support wasn't there anymore. And a lot of people were confused as to why. And we weren't sure what the hell was going on. Why is it it's sitting at 30% and it was just going nowhere. Um, and so people have gotten pretty upset about that um, because everybody's expecting it just to be active and, and there was a given and that was going to happen. Um, it, but that's obviously not what took place. And um, there were some other issues that came up where somebody found something called ASIC boost where um, potentially it's not proven, but um, a miner would be able to save on their costs when it comes to electricity. And uh, they could do that in secret, essentially giving them like a profit of like 30 X compared to what any other miner would get off the same amount of mining power. Um, and, and so that was found to be enabled on some of these chips made by Bitmain. And it doesn't mean that they were necessarily using them, but it would make sense um, in the fact that if SegWit was active, you wouldn't be able to do that anymore. Um, and it, it was baked into the chips that they create. So, there, yeah, you you can think of that what you will. Anyway, so fast forward, um, we now have two camps. Both camps are are gunning to activate SegWit. One is the user activated soft fork or BIP one forty eight. BIP one forty eight uh, is essentially everybody that's on board with that is running a node saying as of August first we will no longer recognize anybody who is not signaling for SegWit. So if you put together a block, you're a miner, and you throw together a block or a transaction or anything, uh, sorry, a block of transactions, and you're not saying that you're ready for SegWit, then anybody running a node or anybody who's mining for, uh, signaling 148 will ignore your block, which initially that won't matter. But... If BIP 148 gains more than 51% uh, of the network hash power at any point, then any any blocks before that that were not signaling for SegWit essentially didn't happen, which means any transactions that were not signaling for SegWit are just gone. They didn't exist. And that means that the entire blockchain gets reorganized to redo that. So essentially, um, Andreas Antonopoulos has a good analogy of this. It's a big game of chicken and user activated soft fork or BIP 148 is slamming on the gas, pulling the steering wheel out of the car and throwing it out the window. Um, cause it's coming and it's just, it's just there. And so people have to decide, is this, does this have enough, uh, support or will it at any point to become a large part of the network? Um, if it does, then either you're okay with there being a split in Bitcoin or you're going to signal BIP 148. If you signal for SegWit, then any, but any transactions that you put through, you're safe because you've been signaling it all along. But if you do not signal and at some point BIP 148 gets enough hashing power, then some of your transactions are not going to exist anymore. 
Um, so, but that's because, not for the opposite. You were saying, right? So, like, if you were to, it's not the opposite. So that means um, if, if BIP one forty eight doesn't get enough traction, then nothing really happens. But if at any point, even six months from now, BIP one forty eight has enough traction, then that reverses six months of transaction. People could think that everything is absolutely fine. All of a sudden it bumps up to 51% and you have to reorganize the entire blockchain. And that's crazy. So it's scary, but as soon as we started to see a lot of, a lot of support or even any support for BIP 148, um, we had Barry Silbert. Uh, if anybody's unfamiliar, Barry, Barry Silbert has a, a a group called Digital Currency Group. He does a lot of investing into Bitcoin companies and crypto companies. Anyways, he went around and he he rallied everybody up and said, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to compromise. We're going to activate SegWit before August 1st. And then with that, down the line, I think they've now said it for three months uh, before it was six months. Um, down the line, as soon as SegWit is active, it will push through a two megabyte hard fork three months after the fact. Okay, so that was the compromise that everybody that I'm looking at it right now. Uh, today, nearly 90% of blocks mined uh, signaled support for SegWit uh, 2x. So, so that's 90% of mining hashing power signaling, not yet actually running code, but signaling that they support this. Um, so what they essentially have to do if they don't want to risk any reorganization of the blockchain is get SegWit in before August 1st. Um, because even if they don't achieve that and it activates a few days later, there's still a risk that those few days of transactions, if they weren't signaling SegWit, might flip and get reorganized. So um, the question now lies in, okay, is SegWit2x actually going to happen? Um, if so, is everybody going to continue to run that same code or are they going to move back to Bitcoin core, which is kind of the main implementation right now? Um, are, are people firing the core developers? Like what's, there's a lot of uncertainty right now. And I know a lot of people watching that don't keep up on this have probably totally glazed over because it's a lot of information, but uh, honestly, I think August 1st is going to come and go. And within maybe a week or two, everything will be fine. <laughs> it's, 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 it's the buildup. It's the fact that it's right here right now. And after the fact, whatever happens, Bitcoin will still be here. If there's two sit around and wait for a year, cause look at Ethereum a year after their split. Um, and you know, eventually it'll be pretty evident what, what Bitcoin is and where it's going. And uh, I guess we'll see. Like for me, it's not like I'm selling my Bitcoin. I'm, I'm watching. I'm very interested. Uh, I'm happy that uh, user-activated soft fork has kicked everybody in the ass so much that we're seeing actual movement around this because it's been exhausting, man. A couple of years of listening to this shit, I'm just so ready for it to be done. Yeah, this is actually one of the most exciting and probably the best times for Bitcoin's evolution. It's getting SegWit. It's working on scaling solutions it, and everything that comes with SegWit, the Lightning Network and everything else. Like This is exciting. This isn't doom. This isn't gloom. This is excitement. This is, this is a time where you're going to see a tadpole grow legs and start walking around a little bit. Like this is, this is the evolution of crypto. And this isn't the last time we're going to have something like this. The next thing you know, we're going to be at the two megabyte hard fork 
and we're going to be talking about how's this going to go. Exactly. And and the the people don't realize, okay, you have just joined in with a decentralized system that has no government, zero governance. Um, A lot of people say from the opposite side of the fence um, that are in support of of large blocks um, don't like Bitcoin core because they think that's a centralized entity um, controlling things. But I mean, Bitcoin Core consists of of hundreds of developers that all independently um, put in, you know, uh, submit uh, Bitcoin improvement protocols uh, on their own accord, and it's largely volunteer based. And and I mean, okay, let's say that we something happens where, yeah, okay, Segwit two X goes, and and there's some different developers working on it and people start putting in bips there. And like, this, this is what we've signed up for. And I think it's fucking incredible. Like you look at this and this chaos, it's, it's going to work itself out and you can see it starting to. And I, this is just, this is how decentralized works. It's, it has to get to a fever pitch when it's anything even somewhat contentious. The second it gets to a fever pitch, people start really thinking, okay, how the hell are we going to do this? And look at how many proposals we've had. We've had um, emerging consensus. We've had segregated witness. We have Segwit2x. We have extension blocks. We have all these different things just coming out of the woodworks. People going, what about this, this, this? And the amount of innovation just be being thrown out there because people are panicking trying to get shit done is amazing. And, and uh, people see chaos. I think it's beautiful I think right, like great. a volcano erupting you know it looks like chaos but once the dust settles we have a better foundation yeah it's oh it's it's exciting and i i can't get worked up watching my twitter feed of people you know it, some of the top con- computer scientists on the planet you know bitching each other out on twitter but i mean everybody's got skin in the game and they're they're passionate about it and i think that's a great thing and you know, other, you know, you look at things like Linux um, and any, any open source uh, projects, they've all gone through this, this same thing. So it's, it's, it's just that this time there's, there's money. <laughs> and so, so there's a little bit more passion around it. Um, yeah, it's, it's going to be a hell of a month. I, I can't wait for August 1st to come and go just because Part of it is just curiosity, but I am, I am exhausted. It's reminding me of the election in the U.S. I don't know how, I don't know how you guys do that. Your election cycle is like two years. I would lose my, my, the Canadian election last in 2015 was like two months, I think, two and a half months. And I was exhausted by the end of it. I don't know how you guys do it, but I guess I do because I've been in this Bitcoin thing for a couple of years now. And holy hell. It's entertainment at best. And uh, I like to look at the whole election thing like a, like a very weird version of like a civil war where like everybody gets to duke it out for two years and get all that like pent up stress out. And then next thing you know, we have like four years of quiet. And then we're, you know, so... Oh, sorry. <laughs> so yeah, like that's how I look at that. It's crazy. But um, you have a node running. I wanted to ask you about that. Like, what is the the incentive to run a node? What is the benefits? Some of the drawbacks, if any. Uh, are you signaling for Segwit? Uh, let's talk about that node you're running. Okay, so uh, I am. I I bought a node actually. So I didn't. I'm again. I'm not 
super, super tech savvy. Like I, I could probably learn how to do it myself, but I'm also like pretty damn busy. So I wanted like a quick fix. Um, I guess my neck, I do have a project to do with that node and I'll explain that in a sec. But anyway, so I ordered a node from a company called Bitseed. Uh, their website is bitseed.org. Um, and so they send ready to go Bitcoin nodes to you and you just, it's literally plug in and go. Um, I made a video on it. Uh, if you go to my channel, uh, BTC sessions, you can find, uh, running a Bitcoin node and it just kind of shows what I had to do is pretty much you pull it out of the box, you plug it into the back of your router, um, plug it into the wall. And then there's, uh, you, you can access it. You go online and you can access the node and make any adjustments that you need to. Um, so, what is a Bitcoin node? So I'm not mining for Bitcoin. I'm not getting paid Bitcoin for this. Um, running a node is very much a, I guess you could call it like a, a community service. I guess you could say it's it's really, it's for hardcore Bitcoiners that maybe want to say in the direction of the network of what they support. Um, so like right now we have Bitcoin Core, we have Bitcoin Unlimited, um, you have, you can signal for different improvements like SegWit or SegWit2x or, or you want to signal for unlimited, but maybe you're not running it. You can do a lot of different things here, but essentially my Bitcoin node is, is something that stores an entire copy of the blockchain or every Bitcoin transaction that has ever happened. Um, and when transactions go through, they'll bounce off my node and they'll update and, and basically relay transactions um, to miners and so on and so forth. Basically, it helps communicate uh, the state of the network to everybody else that's running a node. Um, so I did this as as a, a personal interest and kind of like a hobby. I figured I, I may as well check it out. I'm passionate about Bitcoin. Um, I am currently running uh, the latest not the latest, I think 14, 0.14.1, uh, which is not the latest upgrade to core. Uh, I think it's the second last one. Um, but anyways, I'm running Bitcoin core and that's because anything past, I think 13.0 is signaling SegWit. So I am, uh, I am running a SegWit node. I am not currently signaling for BIP 148. And part of that is because I don't know how to yet. Uh, but that is my project. That's, that's my, cause I'm, I think that BIP 148 is good in the, in the way that it, 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 it gets people to, or hopefully activate SegWit. That's it's, it's pushing for that. So, um, that's my next project. And I think I've got to get a, a, a wired keyboard to plug into the back and, and plug it into my second monitor here so that I can make some changes. But I need to learn how to actually do that. And I think you can download binaries and play around with it. This is all stuff that I have no idea how the hell to do it. So I'm going to have to go online. And I think there have been some good resources so far of how to do that. Uh, so that's that's next on the docket for me. Your passion for cryptocurrency got you into coding. <laughs> That's gonna be so cool. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm I'm interested to learn. At, at the very least, I'll learn a little bit of something in the process. Uh, speaking of learning, what would you tell the you know day one Ben uh, about cryptocurrencies or some advice that you wish you had in day one? If you could go back in time and shake young you, what would you tell yourself the day you got into crypto? Or what's something you wish you knew? then that you would have told yourself? Um, I think, 
Well, for myself, like I, I saw value in, or I, I see value now in holding Bitcoin. Uh, and I had like a magic number in my head of number of Bitcoin I want to have uh, before I move into any other coins. Um, I think early on, I probably would have dabbled less in in altcoins because a lot of the ones back then were were shit. And I don't know. I, I think there's a clearer picture of what's going to be useful now. Um, but like back then it was like, you have all these different things that they're like, where we are better than Bitcoin. This is next thing. This is, this is going to be the, the, you know, world coin. This is going to be the next big thing. And, and you don't know. And so I dabbled in things where I was trying to make more Bitcoin with my Bitcoin and I ended up just losing Bitcoin. <laughs> um, so I think I would have been a little bit more uh, cynical when looking at projects and deciding whether to put money into them. Um, I did, what did I try? I tried something called Havelock Investments, which was basically like investing into companies that were doing various things that they said they had hashing power and they were building cloud mining, but you didn't really know. Like there's not, they weren't as reputable as maybe some of the ones now. And still, I, I don't really do cloud mining, but like, I think there are some companies that actually are, are mining, but the, what I was investing in, I don't know what the hell they had. Um, uh, and then I, I did some other things. Like I played around with um, like uh, was like crowdfunded loans and stuff like that. Like um, what is it called? BTC jam. I think it was called. I think that's gone now, but you could, you could give loans of Bitcoin to people and they would, the interest rate would be set on, how many loans they'd successfully repaid and all that kind of stuff. But mostly it was just people like scamming and running away with the money. Um, it, I like the idea of it, but I, the, the infrastructure wasn't there. Um, so I think I would have just been a little bit more cynical and careful with my Bitcoin. Cause I, I wasted a lot of it. Um, also, I mean, <laughs> I also, I, I'm looking at the price right now and I'm like, Oh my God. Like even, even though like, it was okay. It did briefly hit 3000. Okay. It's around 24, 2500 right now. I was, I was spending Bitcoin <laughs> on, okay. They had uh, what was it called? Fold fold app, which is basically you get discounts on Starbucks um, by funding it with Bitcoin. And they, the, you get like digital uh, basically it's like the Starbucks app, but, but a different platform and you get discounts on your, on your gift cards. So I was using that. And I think back to how many times did I go like with my, my wife and get like a couple like full meals and on top of that, like a couple like expensive coffees and spend like 20 or $30 at Starbucks. And that is now $300. So how many $300 Starbucks outings did I have? Um, you know, when I think about that, it's, it's a little bit painful. Um, I even had a friend, uh, he was into Bitcoin really, really early. Uh, and he was like, he was like, well, I was telling him that he was like, well, you gotta listen to this. Uh, he, he wanted to redo his basement. So he's, you know, he's got a family, he's got a, he's got a home. He was remodeling his basement. Um, and he, what did he say? Oh God. He needed he his remodeling was like thirty thousand dollars to redo his basement. He sold uh what was it? A 
thousand Bitcoin to get that money. A thousand Bitcoin? Was it a thousand or ten thousand? I can't remember. It was some ridiculous amount. Um, essentially, it was like it, he would have been, well, he probably still is. But anyways, he would have been a millionaire just off what he sold, um, So, which is crazy to me. Um, but anyways, yeah, so he, he, yeah, he sold like a thousand Bitcoin and, um, and, but he was in it when he was mining, like in 2012. So, (laughs) I mean, he's, he's doing all right, but still like, I guess looking back, I'm like, well, maybe I would have held on to a little bit more. To touch on what you said about the (laughs) whole, like altcoins and trying to turn more, a little bit of Bitcoin into more Bitcoin. Uh, yeah, I've started to notice that if you're in this long enough, you'll see that altcoins come and go, and that top 20 on coin market cap or the top 10 move. They change, and coins go from the top 10 or top 20 to the bottom 100 really quick, and there's always a new one in the top 20 that somebody's going to say, hey, but it's in the top 20, and it was in the top 10 last week. It could go back. Like That is so exactly like what you're saying, and to... um. Oh, man, what was I going to say? Crap. (laughs) I wanted to touch on that, like, to make sure that everybody knew, like, these altcoins come and go. Um, But, yeah, uh, I had a couple questions in the chat box. Uh, Brian McLaughlin wanted to know, what do you think of the newest Craig Wright and uh, Juan uh, Hugh speeches? Um, Okay, so I haven't heard the whole Craig Wright speech. Yes. um, But... Oh man, I fucking hate that guy. <laughs> like, okay, so I, I I don't know if, how many people have seen uh, the interview that he did with was it GQ? I think it was GQ. Anyways, he sat down and he was talking. This was after he came out and said that I am Satoshi and I'm going to prove it. So he sat down with somebody at GQ, but they brought along a cryptographer with them to like check his work, and the cryptographer was basically like, well but that doesn't actually prove like that you're a hint, like you haven't really. And then he just goes like off swearing on some tangent, basically, oh, I'm not going to fucking do this again. If you don't like it, piss off. And he's just screaming and yell. It's just, you know, okay. So like in my mind, he's clearly not Satoshi. Um, Cause he, like he could, you could easily prove it. If you're a Satoshi, you could just prove it unless you've lost every single private key that you had from the beginning. But okay. Um, then, then he's also said he's okay. I'm, I'm going to do this once. I'm going to be on camera once. I will never be on camera again. He is all over the place now. He's just, you know, he's, and he's talking about patents with Bitcoin. He's talking about, you know, he's, he's trying to get in the public eye. Um, I, I, fundamentally disagree with him on a lot of different things one of them one of the recent things that i noticed that he said is he was like so you won't be able to run a node on a cheap raspberry pi who the hell cares it you could you could easily support the network with a twenty thousand dollar machine okay you yeah you could you could support the network what he was saying was we could have essentially unlimited everything if we we're running $20,000 nodes or $20,000 machines to run the network. Okay. And sure, probably, but I mean, for me, the main pull for Bitcoin is the fact that it's a decentralized network and you're trying to give power back to the people. And that means that if anybody wants to, they should be able to um, individually verify transactions. Like, like for me, I bought like I bought a pre-made node for like a hundred 
a hundred and something bucks, um, which in, in the grand scheme of things is pretty cheap. You could make it cheaper probably if you did it on your own or you could just run it off your laptop or whatever. But um, the whole point is, is being decentralized so that anybody can partake and be part of the network. And that it's not that everybody has to run a node, but it should be available because if it becomes prohibitively expensive for people to do that, and it continues down that road and becomes more and more expensive, then you may conceivably at one point get to a point where only expensive, you know, only people who can afford a $20,000 machine can run a node. And once you get that extreme, then you start to get so centralized that potentially you just have large corporate entities running nodes and that's it. And if we're back to that, then that starts sounding pretty familiar. Because if you think about that, you're relying on central entities to keep track of transactions and approve them and, and make sure that everything's all right. That sounds a lot like a bank to me. So if we're just relying on, on central entities to check transactions for us, and there's no way for us our, ourselves to verify that they're being truthful, we've ended up back with banks and it doesn't matter how successful and widely used Bitcoin is at that point because the ideals behind it have kind of started to disappear if you get to that point. I'm not saying it'll get to that point if, you know, the block size was completely lifted, but it's a potential. And that's that's where the worry comes. Um, people are worried that it, it will become so centralized because of these barriers to entry that and, – and not only that, but – lifting the block size limit entirely. Um, let's say you live in a country, like I was saying, where you don't have bandwidth to, to do that. And let's say you can't get that kind of bandwidth anywhere in that country. Is that entire country now just supposed to say, well, okay, well, I'll just trust another country to keep track of our transactions for us. Like, are, is that a point where people are comfortable with it getting to that point? I'm not saying, again, I'm not going to say it's going to happen, but these there's things to be considered. Yeah, it sounds like the uh, miners could start flexing if that happens and don't really want to sway the power of decision in one way or another and anything that's decentralized or then you start to lose the decentralized part. Yeah, exactly. And and that's that's my worry. Um, but I, I would – I also try and come at it with a level head. I know that I'm leaning more towards one side, but I'm willing to listen to, to valid – arguments on the other side. And I don't think that block size increases are bad. I just think we have to be careful with it. That's all. This whole decentralized uh, debate in Bitcoin only fuels my belief more in altcoins such as Litecoin. Um, Not so much Dash as much as they want to market themselves as cash. I don't know anybody that really uses it other than, you know, (laughs) I have Dash or whatever, but like I use Litecoin for daily expenses. I use Bitcoin as my settlement layer, as my long-term holdings, and Ethereum is my wild card. You know, it's just, uh, it's a wild card for sure. Um, I was wondering, how do you feel exactly about the whole Ethereum network? Uh, You think that has longevity right now with this whole ICO Jenga board being built on top of them? Or do you think that this may come uh, hurling down quicker than everybody expects? Um... First, I'll comment on on the actual platform itself. I think the platform 
Um, and the developers behind it have a lot of incredible ideas. And I think I, I don't see Ethereum itself, the Ethereum network really going anywhere. Um, I think it's going to be here for quite some time. Um, and it'll continue to be used. That being said, uh, the price, it could go either way. Like it, it, I mean, it was, it did tap 400, I think, right. Uh, it went a little bit over 400, I, I mm-hmm. think. Um, and then, it, and then it dipped all the way down to the low 200s and now we're sitting at about 280. Um, so, I mean, that's, it got cut in half by 50%. Um, whether that trend will continue, it remains to be seen. Um, but these ICOs are not letting up. So, um, I think that's a large part of, of what had driven the price and what continues to drive the price. And if that's the case, then that is something to potentially worry about because, like I said, a large number of these ICOs, they're not going to be able to deliver. Um, they're not all going to be worth that much. When you have a company that doesn't have a product that just is all of a sudden their ICO is valued at $150 million, that's reason to worry um, because nothing's even been built yet. Uh, and and also you have to consider something else. <laughs> and it's funny because I saw in the comment section um, of, of uh, like EtherTrader or something like that, people were getting pissed. Um, so you've got to think you've got all of these companies and they've fundraised through ICOs uh, to fund their project. Right. And so people need to buy ether to pay into these ICOs, essentially giving these companies Ethereum. Okay. So now you have companies with holding on to hundreds of millions of dollars worth of Ethereum, and they now have to fund their project. How are they going to do that? You can't fund a project with Ethereum. You can't buy really anything with Ethereum right now. You have to sell Ethereum to get dollars to fund your project. So now you've got hundreds of millions of dollars worth of Ether that has to be sold in order to be used. So you've got hundreds of millions of dollars that is potentially waiting to be dumped. And people that are sitting holding Ether may be affected by that because if some company that got 100 mil or 60 mil uh, on their ICO needs to fund their team, they're, they're starting to sell, right? Um, they have to in order to do anything. Um, or if you get an ICO that's shady as fuck and it gets millions and millions of dollars worth of Ether and those guys want yachts and hookers and blow, then those guys have got to dump that Ether and then take their cash and go and go buy and Buy they them. have every right to do that. They're, you're not entitled to any stake in any company when you invest in an ICO. You have no rights to anything. And they have almost no obligations as a anybody to you, the investor, to the investee. They could literally just go buy yachts, walk away, and what are you going to do legally? What are your legal repercussions? Yeah, exactly. You have, you, I mean, you have the tokens that you bought. They're, uh, if they're worth anything, great. But if not, then that's what you paid for. So... What do you do, right? Like, I is the point is there's a lot of ether out there that has to be now cashed in and spent, and that should be at least a little bit worrying. That being said, the idea of being able to crowdfund a company with no no rules or borders 
is incredible. That alone is an incredible utility. And I think that will continue to exist. But I think the community, like you were saying, is going to start to self-police and start to pay more attention to where they put their money. Um, In the meantime, you may see Ethereum go down in value at some point when that realization comes around. Um, That being said, it could pump like 10x uh, because a million more ICOs launch before that. So we'll see. Going through the uh, comments over here, a couple questions. Let me see if I can pick one. Uh, what are your three altcoins? Uh, do you have any diversification in your portfolio? You majority Bitcoin? Yeah. So what are your top three altcoins and why? Okay. I'm going to – actually, I'm going to name more than three. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to name a few and just, and just talk about why I might – find why I think that they're promising. Um, and I'm looking at coin market cap or sorry, not coin, uh, coincap.io right now. I'm just kind of scrolling quickly through the, the top ones that, okay. So obviously Bitcoin, that's kind of where I got my start. And that's where, um, currently that's where all of my money is. I dumped my alts, uh, when, when Ethereum was around three fifty. uh, I dumped everything. So, uh, that's not saying I won't go back in, but I, yeah, <laughs> I just, I, I kind of got a little bit sketchy and this is why I shouldn't be a day trader because I do shit like this. And this time, sure. I lucked out because it dropped further, but it could have just as easily gone the other way. Right. So it started to, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I should probably just buy and hold whatever I, and I think that will be my tactic moving forward. But anyways, okay. Ethereum, I think there's, there's value there. Um, I may go a little bit back into that because it, it, like I said, it could continue to go up. Um, but if I do, then I think I should probably just hold on to it and never, never sell, just sit on it. Um, Ripple. Fundamentally, I hate Ripple because it's a back end for the banks for them mm-hmm. to save money. Um, that being said, it'll probably be around for a while because banks want to save money. So there you go. Um, Litecoin. I like it because it's, I think it's an excellent test bed for improvements that could be added to Bitcoin. Case in point, we talked about BIP 148 earlier. That's pretty much how Litecoin got Segway. Um, BIP 148 was gaining a lot of steam. And last minute, all the miners were like, ah, shit. And they activated Segwit on their own. So that's, I think, a little bit what we're seeing with, with BIP 148 and Segwit 2X. Segwit 2X, with that much hashing power, if they actually go through with it, then they're going to activate SegWit. And it'll still be a matter of who wants to go along with the hard fork. So anyways, it's cool to see that Litecoin did it a certain way. And I think Bitcoin learned from that. And that's why you're seeing this play out in Bitcoin as well. Um, Ethereum Classic. I like that it has actually fundamentally, I like Ethereum Classic more than I like Ethereum, but everybody is coding for Ethereum, or I shouldn't say everybody, but a lot of people are coding for Ethereum. Ethereum Classic, I like the idea that they didn't just fold and roll back what happened with the uh, the DAO hack. Um, I like that they just said, well, the code was the code, and we said that was the law, so that sucks, but we're not going to change it. I like that. That was, that was, it was supposed to be immutable, and now Ethereum is kind of not immutable because of that. Um, Ethereum Classic kind of still is. Um, and also I like that they're looking at the idea of st- remaining on proof of work and instead of going to proof of stake. And I like the idea that they're putting in a hard cap of 210 million coins. 
that's great. Well, as, assuming that everybody goes along with the, those changes, but I like those developments. Um, Dash, I don't know. I look at it. I think I'm with you. I think it's the marketing. It's Amanda. She's so cute. It makes me want to buy Dash. It's just they got it. It's perfect marketing. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I yeah. They they are good at the marketing. Charlie Sherm gets that uh, prepaid master card for um, Dash. I'll I'll be more heavy on Dash if I can use it like cash. It's cash, but you can't just call something cash and make it cash. I have to be able to use it. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like uh, the thing with Bitcoin, yeah, the fees are a little high, although they've come down a lot lately. But um, I can. There's so much infrastructure built around Bitcoin right now uh, that I can I can use it a lot of places now that weren't available even a couple years ago. And I think it'll get to that point with alts as well. Um, Dash is appealing right now because transaction fees are low, but that's not to say that they won't run into the same scaling problems as Bitcoin and every other blockchain, right? So, um, yeah, we'll see. I don't know. I, I, I know that it has some shady beginnings. Um, I know people shit on it for having that built-in um, marketing, but that might also be kind of a good idea, just, I mean, as far as them getting traction. Who knows? Um, I like Monero, and I'm super happy to see Monero in the top 10. I think... And and uh, the lead developer behind it, um, I, I can't remember what his name is, but Fluffy Pony is his is his ta- his handle on Twitter. But he's a smart guy, and he doesn't give a shit about the price of Monero. He cares about solid code and and a good base. And I think that's why you're seeing this kind of slow but steady rise in value with Monero because it's a solid platform. Um, also, Zcash, I think that's going to be around for a while. Um, and then getting down a little bit further, uh, you were talking about Augur. I think that's an interesting project and I like watching that, even though I don't own any right now, I may in the future. And the other two that I pay attention to is made safe because I think, um, the issue of decentralized storage is, is a great one to be tackled. And I'm, I'm excited to see where that project goes. And again, I don't own any alts right now, but that's one that I may look at and factum, uh, basically like being able to have how do I even put that factum I just I just like the project it's it's a way of, of having like um, provable truth on 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 the internet um, I, I can't really describe it very well but anyways I, I like that project and I need to look more into it those are kind of those are the ones that stick out to me and game credits as well um, but I kind of have a rule for myself now where I don't put money into anything that hasn't been around for more than uh, a year or two. So, yeah. Uh, the only left out a couple that I think are worth mentioning, uh, Golem, GNT for one, uh, World Computationable Power. Um, if you don't understand what that means, just watch this show, uh, Silicon Valley on HBO, because Pied Piper is basically Golem by the end of the newest season. It's really interesting to see that happen, because I'm sitting here, I'm looking at Golem, I really like the idea of the, the blockchain, the project. I'm like, yo, this is pretty smart. Like, if you have leftover computer resources you can just loan that to somebody who needs to use it that's genius because there's companies that have giant servers that do this and charge a lot and we can decentralize that keep the money between the peers and you know take out the middlemen keep everything a little bit safer the whole like decentralized ledger anyway i just think that's a really great uh project as well um full disclosure i am invested in it uh another one i'm 
you know, invested in, but I think it's another great project. Uh, basic attention tokens from Brave. Uh, the idea of topping up your browser with some, you know, value that they sprinkle on the ads to get them to go away. So when you're loading a website, uh, say Facebook, you don't have that last thing you just searched for on Amazon. Like you had those cool sunglasses show up. I think you're like, stop reading my mind. You know, if you had basic attention tokens, you would have just had your browser paid the ad company and they would never have been displayed and you wouldn't have been marketed to. You wouldn't have been, in my opinion, brainwashed. You know, like that's what ads are. They're, they're intentional brainwashing. I don't like, you know, paying for Hulu because Hulu has ads. I don't want to pay for cable. Cable has ads. Anything with ads, I feel like they should pay me for watching the ads because now I want to go out and spend money on shit I wouldn't even care about if it wasn't for the ads. So I'm really into basic attention tokens as like a principle of how I want to interact with the Internet. I don't mind paying for premium interaction. I don't mind paying for peace of mind knowing that I'm not going to go into a network, a social network, and be bombarded with things that I may have been interested in and now are being manipulated to be phrased exactly how my brain needs it to be phrased to feel guilty enough to not buy it, to buy it. It's insane. So I like that project a lot. And um, I actually... Oh, I do own a couple. Uh, somebody sent me some. So I have a few Swarm City tokens, uh, Sweet, SWT, but I love their project as well. They're a decentralized commerce platform, uh, sort of like Uber meets, um, uh, what's the, it, it, it's like everything almost. Imagine if you need to have your website made or if you just need a ride somewhere. If, if What if you need your cell phone repaired? You could you know use a hashtag get me on their platform, pay me through their token. It's So it's decentralizing uh, local commerce. So those are some of the other altcoins that I think are interesting and may not be the you know here 10 years from now, but hopefully they're here for a few years and inspire that thing that will be around for 10 years. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah, is there anything you wanted to talk about before we go? We have a lot of live viewers right now. I figure if there's anything you wanted to touch on, anything you wanted to talk about that we may have uh, not you know, got yet? Um, let's see. I, <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm happy that, uh, the Craig Wright thing got brought up that I just, oh man, the Twitter was just on fire yesterday with people that were either, either happy or super angry about it. Uh, so I'm glad that somebody brought that up. Shout out um, to uh, Brian McLaughlin. That was my boy from New York. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then I'm, I'm just peeking in. Uh, I'm peeking in the comments here too. Just taking a look here, just to see if anybody was. Uh... <laughs> My viewers oh. tend to have side conversations, which are really awesome, but distracting when I'm trying to go through for for questions. Oh um, yeah. One of the questions I wanted to ask you though is, how do you personally use crypto? Is it just something you want to buy and hold and save? Is it something that you use for money purposes? Is there any? particular reason that you use crypto or is it just something that you think would gain you value over time and um yeah so i i use it as a store of value for for bitcoin i use it as a store of value um i use it as a little bit of speculation when i'm not in bitcoin um but the other thing that i use it for is um uh saving money on travel uh and what i mean is if i'm going out of country and I'm going to the U.S. or the U.K. or somewhere in Europe, uh, I can, and actually, 
I'll bring up this in a minute. But anyways, so I can travel and I can convert Canadian dollars or rather Bitcoin, which I get paid in Bitcoin through one of the companies that I work for. Um, I can convert that directly into the currency of the place that I'm, I'm visiting. So what I have is I have a Bitcoin Visa card. Um, uh, lately, I've been using Wirex is the company that I use, uh, and, and they've been pretty good. Uh, they have a companion app that goes with the card that they send you. You pay to get the card. Uh, it's like it's a regular looking Visa card, um, but it on the app you can see how much money is loaded onto it. It's a prepaid Visa, um, and so you have a Bitcoin wallet in the app, and then you can hit exchange. And so I went to England last month, and I hit exchange. I converted Bitcoin into British pounds. I went to England. I use that Visa card all over England. Um, for free, like you don't have to pay transaction fees when you're using it for a regular purchase. Um, oh well, that's awesome. Even when you're traveling. Yeah, yeah. So, so that card because it's a in technically in British pounds because I've 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 uh, converted Bitcoin to the local currency. So I use that all over. Um, and then when I'm done, if I still have British pounds left, I convert it back to Bitcoin. The only fees I paid during that were the network transaction fees. So, so by comparison, let's say I converted a thousand Canadian dollars worth of Bitcoin into British pounds. If I did that through my bank, it would have cost me $30. If I did it through a kiosk in the mall, it would have cost me 60. Um, using this card and just using Bitcoin back and forth with Wirex, it cost me four bucks. Wow, that was must have been when the uh, Bitcoin transaction fees were low. <laughs> yeah, well, they were two bucks each, but yeah, like it was still. I mean, even at five bucks each, even uh, I, I still would have been saving twenty bucks over what I would have been. So, and and transaction fees have gone down now. Like, there's yeah, I know. I saw that post by Charlie. Yeah, so you're starting to get sub one dollar, like you know, 50 cent transaction fees going through no problem. Um, which brings up another interesting topic of, of where all those, was that transaction bloat actually users or was it somebody trying to drive a point? So, uh, <laughs> that's true. Uh, fees. Uh, I, I don't want to drag this out. If you have to go, let me know. I'm, I'm really enjoying the conversation. I think we, we have over 40 viewers, so I feel like the nice. audience is enjoying it. Um, what is your take on fees? Because one of the things when I first got into Bitcoin, I was told that you could send money anywhere in the world for free. It's free. It's free. It's free. Everybody. I swear to God, every video I watched, every article, everything I read kept using the word free. And then the first thing I found out when I did my Bitcoin transaction was it ain't free. So like, what is your take on, you know, cryptocurrency transaction fees? Uh, why do they exist? What purpose do they serve? And why do we consider it free? Okay, so the free thing was was true at the time when people started pumping that idea. And I was on that train too. Like I didn't really know at first like how that was driven and and at that point it was it was, you know, fractions of a penny to send a transaction, and that was all good. But also at the same time, Bitcoin wasn't worth nearly as much as it is now. Um, so, I mean, the current problem is there's a limited number of transactions per second. Um, and once you reach that limit, people that want to get their transaction through first, they'll bid up. They'll, they'll um, add extra fees to incentivize miners to take their transactions first. Okay, so that's the basic idea behind it. Now, with the limit and with the 
excessive number of transactions that have been going through the Bitcoin network lately, um, you started to see people bidding up transactions higher and higher. Um, so whereas you wouldn't go buy a cup of coffee and spend a few bucks on a transaction fee because then you're basically paying twice as much, paying a few dollars or five dollars to go send a million dollars across the globe is still pretty damn attractive. So people didn't blink tw- think twice about um, dropping a five dollar transaction fee for those kinds of things. Um, now it's unfortunate that transaction fees have gone up, and that can be alleviated with things like Segwit, with things like bigger blocks with things like the lightning network. Um, so there are ways around this and it, they are coming. Um, but I think that people made a lot of early promises without letting the network actually tackle those issues first. There will come a day where you can send transactions for next to nothing. And you still can with a lot of these altcoins because they don't have the transaction volume. But even on Ethereum, now that it's starting to be so widely used and the market cap is is getting pretty close to that of Bitcoin, um, their transaction fees are going up as well. And, and so it's just a thing that every blockchain is going to have to deal with. And it'll be interesting to see what happens with Litecoin in regards to this, because they have SegWit now. They'll probably be the first to get something like Lightning on top of them, at least to test it. For sure. And so um, it'll be interesting to see. The thing with Litecoin is there's not enough usage to really gauge fees because, I mean, the blocks haven't been full, right? So, And they have a block every two and a half minutes anyways. So um, it's... It, it's kind of tough to judge. So really, the only way we're going to know is is if and when Bitcoin does this. Um, but I mean, every, every blockchain is going to run into this. They're going to have to figure out how to scale and do it in some way. So yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it is what it is. Um, I will say it totally sucks when I, when, because I make a lot of how-to videos. So if <laughs> I used to just send the transactions when I'm demoing in my videos and be like, oh, this is how a wallet works. Look, press send, oh, receive, oh, but yeah, but now I do that and I drop like 20 or 30 bucks on a video on making Yes, it, right? I did that on my uh, testing transaction fees video. It cost me quite a penny and I was like, all right, well, I hope I make this back from ads. <laughs> yeah, and that's the that's thing. Like you can't, I can't now a lot of time in demos all, and, and the other shitty thing is, is when you're showing a new user and you're saying, okay, this is how it works. Do I want to even send that person? Like I can't send them like a demo dollar because I'm going to lose a few bucks in the process. And then they have to like, and then they can't send it back. It's you, they can't even spend it because it's less than the transaction fees are going to be. So, I mean, you could do that with something like Litecoin or, or dash or, or that's why I'm really big on Litecoin. I don't, I don't want to sound like a Litecoin maximalist or like I'm trying to pump it or whatever. I, I, don't even have that ability or reach period. But I'm really big on Litecoin personally in the fact that for me, I use crypto as money every day, all day. It's money to me. I like the option of just ditching fiat, ditching the Federal Reserve's monopoly on paper money. I like having that ability. So I chose to screw the system. Like I'm literally, I feel like I'm screwing the system and I feel like maybe like people like me or why the dollar isn't as strong because we keep bailing on the dollar and we're using crypto. (laughs) But like I take my paycheck and at this point now, instead of other purposes, I set aside what would be enough where I get paid weekly. 
So every week I take a little bit aside that's cash for rent. So it adds up after the four weeks, I can pay my rent in cash, but everything else is one third Bitcoin, one third Ethereum, one third Litecoin. Litecoin is my spending. Ethereum is my, what I would consider my investment and Bitcoin is like my savings. Um, so like, that's how I look at how I use it. And I use a, a debit card called shift payments. I don't know if do they have that in Canada. They don't yet. And I would 30 something that. countries and they don't have, I think shift payments is in like no, no, that's Coinbase. Sorry, Coinbase is yeah. in like 30 something countries. And that's what I use my shift payments card for. And that's where I can choose out of whichever cryptocurrency I want Bitcoin, Ethereum, Litecoin, whatever cryptocurrency is doing the best performance within the time I bought it and want to spend it. I can choose between that, which currency I use to buy breakfast, lunch or dinner. It's like that's, that. That is awesome. That's a solid idea, actually. I like that. And actually, you know what? I'm glad you brought that up um, that you can well, sorry, I didn't want to cut you off right there, but that's why I brought it up, though. Fees matter to people like me. Fees yeah, yeah. really, really, really matter. Um, uh, uh, Charlie Sherman posted a status not too long, like, who cares? Uh, or no, Roger Ver. I don't want to put it on the wrong person. Yeah. I'm pretty sure yeah. it's Roger Ver that said, yeah. who cares if you can't buy coffee with Bitcoin? Like, bro, me. Because, like, that's oh, my no, money. that w- that wouldn't have been Roger because Roger is 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 the like who he wants. It was one or the coffee. other. It was one yeah. or the other. They're both like it's very weird. It's like um, ah, oh, dude, it, it, they're like twins almost in my mind sometimes when it comes like to their post. I always get them mixed yeah. up. But uh, yeah, somebody tweeted that and I was like, well, it matters to me because that's my daily money. Like if it cost me four dollars to do a transaction. That's going to affect the way I look and use Bitcoin. And now I'm moving on to a different cryptocurrency because I still like the idea of being uh, using a decentralized currency, but I need something that's going to be cheap and fast. And personally, I'm big on Litecoin all this year, all 2017. I'm, I'm just trying to stack my Litecoin. Yeah, I think um, so. I want to live 100% on crypto. That's that's a goal of mine. Um, so again with with bitcoin right now i can't um be partly because of fees but also um these cards uh so like i think when you use your card it instantly it converts at the time of your purchase is that right yes it actually is uh really weird to say this because most people in crypto and bitcoin know that you can't really get a pool transaction from bitcoin you can only push money out you can't really once you give somebody bitcoin they can't you know do a double spend they can't pull more bitcoin out of your wallet but the shape the shift payments card you actually give permission to pull so it does it pulls some crypto at the time of the transaction and it converts it instantly to us dollar and there's almost no fees as long as you don't use like an atm and you're within the country yeah yeah and so that's where our cards differ like my card i had to convert my bitcoin to british pounds when i went over there and then convert back when i was done um what i'm curious about is uh there's a card kind of like the one you're talking about and they actually launched an ico which i kind of kind of find funny because they don't really need a token i don't think but anyways 10x uh, there's an app for it, like spell the number 10, like T E N X. Uh, and they have a card. Um, and I was looking at the fees just today and they said that there's 0% fees when it comes to using the card in whatever currency and an auto converts to it. Um, and it's available in Canada. Um, and so I'm thinking I'm going to try that because if I'm not getting hit with like the, my problem is if I have a British pound card or a U.S. dollar card, if I use that in Canada, I get hit with like two or three percent forex fees, which like again, totally not feasible. 
But this 10X card, it's looking like they don't have those fees. Like you pay for the card if you if you use an ATM or whatever, yeah, you get dinged. But like it auto converts, and there's multiple currencies available on it. So I could like have Bitcoin and Litecoin and, and Ethereum and like a few others, and I could choose just like you do and and use whatever currency I want. So I'm gonna look more into that because if that's possible, then I may be just living on crypto soon. I actually found a debit card that works with pretty much any crypto. I can't remember the name offhand, but I was uh, in the uh, Swarm City Slack or the group chat on Twitter, and I sent them the link because I was reading the article. It it uses almost every coin, uh, even the Swarm City tokens. So I was telling them, hey, maybe the drivers could use this crypto debit card. There's going to be a lot of debit cards out there for crypto soon. I mean, they're just going to start popping up, and they're going to get better and better because the you know the uh, free market. They're going to be incentivized to be better than the last guy. So somebody may have a year or two established, and that gives them a lot of street cred, but that also is, incentivizes the next card company that comes out to do what this one's doing, the zero fees and all the great customer support and, and all these bells and whistles. So like, I'm excited for more and more of the cards that come out, especially like something for Dash. And and yeah. um, I, I really want to get my hands on a Wirex card, although I just don't like the idea of selling my Bitcoin. Like I have a BitPay Visa Actually, yeah, it's uh, somewhere back here. And I had to sell my Bitcoin to hold it as cash on the card. And then this card actually has some fees hidden in it. Like if you don't use it over a certain amount of time, there's a fee involved. um, And there's fees involved for not topping up as regularly as uh, I think every 90 days you should add money to the card. Stuff, weird stuff like that. So I'm, I'm hopeful for the future cards and... That's what's going to aid adoption, and adoption is going to aid the price going up. And, you know, mm-hmm. the inflationary currencies that we're involved in are going to go up in value as more people adopt and start using it and holding it. That's just basic math. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I just like the idea that there's more choice. And and like you said, with more and more cards coming out too, that I think these lower fees that we're starting to see, or 0% fees, which I think is the case, um, that's just a symptom of competition. So that's I can't wait to see more of that. The one thing I want is I want, uh, I want to be able to take my phone, have the app, and tap my phone to pay. That's what I've been waiting for. And it did exist briefly uh, with a, an app called ShakePay, but I didn't get to use it and they deactivated it. And I think it has something to do with there's a patent on tap and I think it's held by MasterCard, which is super shitty because they don't like crypto. So MasterCard, come on, guys, get your shit together. Wow. Uh, tap and pay is actually weird. Um, every store that had tap and pay pretty much planned it out. Like they moved it in, had all the tap and pay, like Walmart, Wawa. So many of the stores around me had it and none of them have it anymore. So, um, yeah, it's weird. And I work for a small business, Mm -hmm. um, where we were approached by the, you know, Hey, you should do tap and pay the same people we use for our point of sales now. And it turns out if you want to use tap and pay as a business, um, typically as a business, when you, uh, when your customer pays you via a visa card or a MasterCard, uh, for an, uh, uh, American Express is a little bit more, but the average is like 3%. So the business pays the, the credit card company 3% of the transaction the customer gave you. Well, that goes up to almost 7% through tap and pay. So the terminal, that terminal is going to cost the business double the fees on each transaction. 
And I'm pretty sure that's why companies like Walmart and Wawa got away from that. I'm sure that they have some special percentages, but they probably were paying more per transaction and they make thousands of dollars a day. So those fees were just, they, I, I visually watched it come in and get moved right out of the stores I go to. I don't know if tap and pay has a future. I, I'm more it's, on, have you seen Amazon's store, that weird storefront that's like super futuristic? You just walk in and you walk out. Yeah, that's great. That's awesome. It's, it's, <laughs> I, I think stuff like that is, is pretty much the future. Um, that being said though, it's funny because in the States, you're saying there's not a lot of tap and pay. Tap and pay is everywhere here. Like if I go to a store and they don't have tap, I'm like, oh, like it's it's only been around like for, uh, I guess, like two years here. But like everywhere has it. Like I can't, like, if I walk in and I have to like put the chip in and put in my number, I'm like, oh, guys. <laughs> because I don't get to use tap and pay, but my brain just went that route. If I could, I could link my Bitcoin debit card like my shapeshift visa card i could link that to my apple pay and i could do tap and pay with bitcoin through my shift payments card yeah yeah i, I want to do that now now i have to find a place that accepts tap and pay so i can do that <laughs> come to canada those are, they're everywhere i'm coming to canada for breakdancing lessons first and we can there talk we crypto go. after i know how to pop lock and drop it because i <laughs> am desperately in need of that <laughs> uh, that's awesome. i avoid music like the plague dude <laughs> <laughs> um so uh yeah i guess we could wrap it up man i don't know what else we could touch on uh i really want to say thank you uh let everybody know where they could find you uh where yeah. you produce your content are you on steam it youtube twitter let them know yeah, uh, sure. Um, first off, thanks for having me. Uh, I had an absolute blast. Um, I'm super glad that we get to do this back and forth thing a few times now, and I'm sure we'll do it more in the future. Um, people can find me if you go to YouTube and you search BTC Sessions. In fact, in my little, uh, where is it? here uh i have uh i have my url for youtube but um yeah btc sessions on youtube you should be able to find me pretty quick um also i'm trying to get more people following me on twitter because that's where i'm most active um so at btc benny btc benny is where you'll find me uh and it's right now it's like a kind of like a cartoony picture of my face is my is my avatar so that should be able you should be able to find me there um steam it i I'm on there, but honestly, I have I need to spend some more time learning the ropes because right now I get like zero traction on there. But I think part of it is because I'm not active, and I think you probably have to be relatively active to actually get some traction. So, um, yeah, I I'm looking at doing more of that, and I think actually the plan is I'd like to do. Uh, I, so I'm doing a lot of like Bitcoin stuff right now, but I kind of want to do. Um, I'm going to do more like a vlog style channel as well. Like me and my wife are going to do it. Um, cause we've got a kid on the way and, and I like being creative and I like doing, I like creating content with her as well. So I think that's in the cars. And I think with that, I'm going to kind of push that for steam it because, um, cause I love crypto, but I mean, steam it isn't exclusively for crypto type content. Right. So, um, uh, I, I thought it might be kind of cool to, to launch that on, on, on steam it and, and use that as a platform to kind of pump it up. So I don't know, we'll see, but uh, yeah, steam it is, is on the radar for me and I'm going to spend some more time learning the ropes there. But anyways, BTC Benny on Twitter and uh, BTC sessions on YouTube. Uh, what was your steam it handle by the way? 
Oh, God. Uh, hold on. I'll tell you. <laughs> well, I could always link it in the description box. I'll make sure I have something uh, for the viewers oh, to go said, ahead and go through. I got it. It's just Ben Perrin 117. So B-E-N-P-E-R-R-I-N 117. That's me. Now I got to ask, what's 117? Ah, oh, dude, it's it was just my lucky number for the longest time. And now I just see it everywhere. So that's just my... Oh, it's my thing. <laughs> Got like the number 21 effect, or 23, I should say, the number 23. Like if you look for it, you'll find it. Mine, uh, you know, if we're going to be uh, open, uh, my lucky number is 222. Uh, it was go. my same classroom my whole life until high school. Like every single classroom, no matter how many different schools I moved to, which were a lot, it was always room 222. That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty weird. All right, um, uh. Yeah, man. Thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, this was awesome. We definitely have to do this more often. I, I had a blast on your show with the, uh, the Q and a you do every week. Hopefully we could do that again. Uh, maybe we could do something like that on my show. Uh, yeah. guys definitely check them out on YouTube, Twitter, steam it. Uh, if you enjoyed this, please go ahead and pound that thumbs up button. Uh, if you dislike this for any reason, go ahead and hit the dislike button. Just leave a comment in the description below and let me know where I could have turned that thumbs down around in the next interview. And uh, don't forget, this will be on thebitcoinpodcast.com. I do have my own podcast on the network. It is called Not Another Bitcoin Podcast. All right, guys, thank you and have a day.